This week, we dive into Ryan Johnson's time travel spectacle called Looper. And along the way, we asked ourselves, why does the time machine look like the snitch from Harry Potter? Why is Kansas the hub of crime in the future? And would it have been easier to cast someone who looks like Bruce Willis? This is Horsefed Sci-Fi. Hello, true believers, and welcome to another exceptional episode of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I am one of your co-hosts, the bodacious Sean Michael Culp, and I am joined by my ecstatic co-host. I am the non-time-traveling Chris Rupp. Uh, at least for now. For now. For now. Until it's invented and I want no part of it. You don't want any part of time. No! Film. Come on, Neither man. do the people in this movie, apparently. <laughs> no, they do not. Yes, this film is chocked full of time travel. I'm so stoked to talk about this film, Looper. Yeah, I, you were pretty yoked when this got picked by Major Samantha last week. I was pretty yoked. I remember when it came out, I was like, yes, this is amazing. And then I hadn't seen it for like seven years, so I guess I skipped out on that. Yeah, it was like two days after we picked the movie, you're like, I got six pages of notes already. <laughs> I was yoked, man. I went to the library the next day. I rented the uh, Da Vinci Code and then this. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was super fun. But let's dive into this spectacle. Yeah, let's talk about Looper. Let's give a quick breakdown of the plot. Sure. So in the future near the f- year uh, 2075, time travel has been invented, but it is immediately outlawed and is, of course, used solely for nefarious purposes. For the purpose of sending people back in time to be murdered and disposed of in horrible ways. That's how we use time travel. And it effectively erases them from history. So these assassins, they're known as loopers. So they kill and kill and kill until their loop is closed by killing their future selves. And in this film, a young looper named Joe lets his loop run. And he becomes entrenched in a fight for the future. That's a nice synopsis, man. I love doing the synopsis. <laughs> it's nice. You're like that brief intro. Like, I feel like I could read that on like the Wikipedia page or IMDb. <laughs> because sometimes you check out the synopsis, it's like pages long. It's like, bro, it's supposed to be short. Like yeah, I'm not reading a Harry Potter book. No, heck no, man. This isn't summer reading list. Exactly. So rock on, man. All right. So that is Looper. And as Sean mentioned in the top of the show, this is a Ryan Johnson film? Yes. It is a Ryan Johnson-directed film. I think it's his third one of his career. He also wrote this film. Oh, too, nice. From... Uh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> he seems to be... I, th- I don't know if he wrote Brick or Brothers... What was that? Brothers Brim or something? Brothers Bloom? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say, but I know he wrote uh, The Last Jedi. Yes. So he is the man to write and direct. I think... Who is in this film, Chris? Let's talk about the gang. So leading off the cast, we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Joe, mm-hmm. who is uh, he's playing a younger version of Bruce Willis's older Joe. So yes. he is the young counterpart to old Joe 30 years in the future. And his nose. He's playing <laughs> Bruce Willis's nose this one, too. We've got who Emily Blunt. She plays Sarah. Solid. Solid. Very good performance from Emily Blunt. Um, We've got Discount Shia LaBeouf with Paul Dano, who plays Seth. Yeah. Uh, Also, we have the great Jeff Daniels as Abe. 
which I have to say, Jeff Daniels is an, one of those supporting actors. He's probably not leading man material, but in everything yeah. he's in, he crushes it. He does. I wish there was more of him in this film. Yeah, he's like the American Jared Harris. The American Jared Harris. I don't know who Jared Harris okay, is. Okay, you, have you been watching Chernobyl at all? I do not watch Chernobyl. Well, then there is just no helping you. <laughs> Sorry, man. I didn't get that reference. Jared Harris plays the main um, Russian scientist in Chernobyl, and he's uh He's had a lot of bit parts, a lot of television roles, a lot of film roles, but he's he's great in every supporting role, as is Jeff Daniels. So to round out the cast, we also have uh, Piper Parabo as Susie, the the stripper, I guess. Yeah, his love interest. Exotic dancer. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Garrett Dillahunt from Deadwood fame as Jesse, where I feel like he's just playing a futuristic continuance of his characters in Deadwood. I haven't seen that either. <laughs> I don't know, man. Watch Deadwood. Is the wood dead? Oh, my God. <laughs> Is the wood dead? <laughs> well, I had to ask. Sorry, it's my, it's a grandpa joke. God, you're family. dumb. Hey, man, you got to make the silly jokes. And then rounding out, finally, we have uh, Noah Segan as Kid Blue. And I actually looked this up because he just seemed like a too bit of an actor to have such a prominent role in this movie. And found out that Noah Segan has been in every one of Ryan Johnson's films. Okay, so he's like, uh, what's that guy in Adam Sandler's films? All of them. You mean all of his buddies? Yeah, who's the, what's that guy's name? Who, oh, uh, you can do it! Oh, that's Rob Schneider. That's right, I actually met that guy. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. He was nice, he, he was smart, he's like, I'm sick, don't touch me. And I'm like, <laughs> and the guy's like, man, I hope he feels better. I'm like, no, he's not sick, he... He's a freaking celebrity, man. He doesn't want you to touch him. Yeah, he's like Howie Mandel. Like, celebrities don't want you touching them. Yeah, I met him at an airport. You know why? Because we're <laughs> we're gross. We are disgusting. You file pleb. <laughs> so, moving on from the cast, let's move into development and pre-production of Ooh. the film. So, I was surprised to find out that this movie was made on a pretty... Low budget, Low man. budget of $30 million. Super, super nice. It was like, it reminded me of an indie film. Yeah. Which is kind of my genre that I enjoy watching. So I think that's why I geeked about it. Yeah, you can make a great movie on a low budget, which is what a lot of studios aren't realizing these days. And he does. Like, that's what, probably one of the things I enjoy about this film because it's made on such a low budget, but it's executed so well. And to piggyback on the studios, I just think they want the big blockbusters. Man. Yeah. They want it all. Well, Ryan Johnson had been collecting ideas on the script since 2002. Mm -hmm. And you had an interesting point about the studio like switching locations during production. Yeah. So what happened with that? So with that, um, they weren't getting enough funding because they wanted to actually do a scene in France. So they couldn't because during the film, initially he was learning French. Joe was. But since they couldn't get the funding, they went to a Chinese company, actually. It's like DMG. And the Chinese company was like, hey, uh, it was like DMG Entertainment. And they said, Mr. Johnson, we would love to give you the rest of your budget only on the idea that you cast a Chinese actress and you film in Shanghai. So Ryan Jensen was like, sure, I'll do that. And then for the later in the film, he actually ended, like added, I think, 10 minutes of length for like Chinese audiences overseas. I was going to say, yeah, something like that would lead to pretty big changes in the overall film. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. On one of the interviews I read by him, he's like, oh, it wasn't too big of a change at all. And I'm like, his wife is different and like the location. <laughs> 
He's not going to Paris. He's learning a new language. I guess it's somewhat minor, but still. I, that was cool, though. Kudos. Shanghai was the perfect location in this film. Yeah, I mean, nice Shanghai has been in a lot of films, and it, the architecture and the lights, and depending on how it's shot, you can pull off a very futuristic look mm -hmm. to Shanghai. Yeah, I think that's why people always go there. Mm -hmm. Like in Her, that we've covered. They yeah. shot overseas. Or in another movie, um, Skyfall. Yeah. Shanghai was prominently featured mm -hmm. in Skyfall, and Shanghai was shot gorgeously in oh, that film. So beautiful. Just the scenes in that were fantastic. But also, I guess they shot overseas in, in China because it opens up the uh, overseas market. Yes. Because then it's like, hey, we can draw in Well, that's money, why a lot revenue. of films open in China first, because mm -hmm. that is such a big market as well. So, yeah, for all you people that don't know why there's China in a lot of your films, it's moolah. <laughs> but in addition to being shot in Shanghai, this film was predominantly shot in Louisiana. Yeah, despite being called Kansas. <laughs> why couldn't you just call it Louisiana then? Maybe they want, like, southern accents then. People would be, like, Emily Blunt's character would be like, hey, get off my lawn. <laughs> Old Gran Torino. But uh, I, I also saw that Ryan Johnson cited uh, films like uh, The Terminator yep. uh, and 12 Monkeys as influences mm -hmm. of, in terms of the science and Witness. action. And Witness definitely for the second half of the film yeah harrison ford in a fantastic role but his sole oscar not unfortunately I, it is unfortunate yeah we've been talking about harrison ford a lot he's great <laughs> but i also found this uh the diner set that was built in louisiana mm -hmm. that was actually still standing after hurricane isaac oh. rolled through the area so they built it well so they built it saying. well. And if you, I, I'm not sure if it's still standing yeah. now, but it is in, I um, hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana. Hey, man, I don't know. So I'm going to take that for what it is. Yeah. Hey, add us if it's wrong. <laughs> yes, please. If you're in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and that set from Looper is still there, please let us know. <laughs> right on, man. So let, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the movie. Think, think you brought up off air- the paradoxes? Yeah, a couple of paradoxes. Like, what are these paradoxes you were talking about? So one's the, I'll start with the multiverse paradox. So the multiverse paradox, I think the perfect example is in Endgame. Like with that, I always forget that stupid chick's name. The Nebula. Nebula, that's right. So Nebula in Endgame, I guess spoilers, it's been out for like two, three months. So she goes back, you know, and then shoots her old self. And nothing changes in the mm -hmm. timeline. That's like the multiverse. The timelines, whatever your path is, even if you go to a different time zone, timeline, whatever you do will not alter yours. It's all like they're all subjected to their own. So they were like, old Joe messing with his younger self wouldn't have changed anything. Like, wouldn't have altered his own timeline. And it wouldn't have, who knows what his timeline would have been in Young Joe's. So it would have been stupid for him to go back in any regards, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And then the other one was the grandfather paradox. Now, this is where you kind of lost me a little bit. All right. So the grandfather paradox goes is basically if you, Chris Rupp, wanted to go back and kill your grandfather for some reason, maybe, I don't know, he shot your dog and you were mad at him shooting your dog. So you're like, screw you, old man. I'm going to kill you so you're never born. So you can never kill Delilah, right? Mm -hmm. So then you go back in time and you kill your old man so that you don't exist, your family doesn't exist, and he doesn't exist. 
you in essence would erase yourself and everything as well as him. Okay, well, how does this apply to Looper? Because that paradox that you're talking about is built on the premise that whoever is going back in time to kill their grandfather also built the time machine. Yes. So in Looper, what I read a bunch online was with him killing himself, old Joe would have never gone back in time, so he would have never shot the kid. They would have never met Sarah, and like none of the actions that took place would have ever happened. So the kid would have still become the Rainmaker, hmm. regardless. So nothing that would have happened would have happened. It would have been, there would be no movie, essentially. Yeah. So that's kind of like one of the arguments that people are saying, this film is bogus with the ending because it wouldn't even be real. I don't know. I think this film, in terms of uh, timelines and uh, time travel, uh, borrowed a lot from 12 Monkeys. Oh, dude, totally. In, like that, the, in that time is a closed loop. I mean, yes. The name of the title, obviously. Yeah, I like that portion of the film. Now, in like hindsight, because I didn't like much with Twelve Monkeys when we talked about. It. I'm like, oh, it's boring, closed loop. But now we literally did a film about Looper. Yeah, people looping, and it kind of opened my mind to like how fragile it is. And we've seen a ton of depictions of time travel so far in the run of this show, it's and every huge. film has had a different depiction of how it works. Every single time, <laughs> it always, which is kind of cool. I like that. That's why we like cinematography or like film cinema. Yeah. Because it's like every director has a different depiction of what it is. But this one and Looper also borrowed a lot from the Terminator in terms of how the time machine and time travel is depicted. And you brought up like how the machine actually looks like, looks like snitch. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big golden snitch that you can crawl yeah, into. And it I'm has, like, what is this? It has those granny bars yeah. in it that you just hold on to. It was so like rustic and just it that the time machine when he goes back in time, like the way it was shot and everything, that reminded me of Twelve Monkeys. Just mm -hmm. like the dirtiness of that whole there thing. There was no uh, explanation as to how that machine is powered. No, there that was when I was watching, I'm like, how does this even work? There was no explanation in this film really for the science behind anything. This film this film for being set in the future I thought was really lacking in terms of futuristic tech. Yes. I mean we see that um like the cars have been retrofitted with solar panels. And like tubes connecting the gas tank to the exhaust yeah that doesn't that, make sense that, that, that just seems so bad that threw me we'll talk about ryan johnson well decisions. we see also the the cell phones are about the size of yeah. chest tiles yeah and they're glass or something like you were saying you would break it i'm sorry like, if i put what? that thing in my back pocket and i sat down and hear it crack i would just be <laughs> crap that is the fifth one this week <laughs> i was like my mind was boggled with how they work i guess maybe it's like everything's a hologram like the television was the same it just like shot out well, I, it was so weird. Well, smaller doesn't mean more advanced. Yeah, and I think that's what I think that's a misconception that Ryan Johnson had about making the tech because you have things that seem to be almost retrofitted, like the cars, mm -hmm. for example, and yeah. then you have something that's super advanced, but it's not really explained, like the tiny glass tiles, cell phones, or whatever those were in time travel. Yeah, so it's weird. Like, how do we get to a point where cars have to be retrofitted with solar panels? And yet, cell phones are the size of a chest tile. I would like to see that movie. Just, like, how they figured it out. Like, how did that even come? And, like, even, I don't know, even in this future depiction, mm -hmm. like, it's so bleak. There's homeless people there, Yeah, there's homeless people being shot in the back. Yeah, uh, it was just... And then there's also sprawling sugarcane farms. Yeah. <laughs> it was just weird. 
I mean, I will have to say, I mean, even the depiction of that automated uh, farm equipment, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a far off reality, no, though. No, 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 I don't think so. I mean, that's something that seems like it could be easily codable into a machine to spray. With a drone? Like, yeah. Or something like, flying over? Yeah. Yeah, to huh. program it to drop pesticides or water mm -hmm. or nutrients over a, you know, a certain portion of your field or... Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I would think something like that would be easily coded because all you would need is a geographic outlay of the field itself mm -hmm. and then how high it needs to fly and Ooh. if it's powerful enough to... Uh, strong enough to carry a, a load of pesticides or nutrients or water. Yeah. See, I could design robots. I know. I was just thinking while you were saying it. Man, he's breaking this See, down. See, I'm smart. I got ideas. <laughs> wow, Chris. Are you an engineer? Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny my profession. <laughs> this is like a past life. Oh, man. But I also want to talk about this, too. For, so for for it seems like some tech is kind of advanced. Mm -hmm. We see... Uh, an almost digression in terms of the guns used in this movie? Yeah, they were mind-boggling. The blunderbuss, which can only shoot 15 feet, 15 meters, and it was... A blunderbuss is an actual weapon from like back in like the 1700s. Yeah. But why would they bring it back? It's blunder so buses, ineffective. Blunderbusses were popular uh, amongst like pirates because mm -hmm. you didn't have to load it with like um, like shot or anything. You could take like utensils or whatever was laying around or glass and just shove it down the barrel well, along with powder and just shoot people. So oh, That's nuts, man. Blunderbusses were unbelievably destructive when they were just, if you got a blunderbuss full of glass, ooh, that would hurt. But then there's also the GATS. Yeah, which is just like a revolver that can contain rifle rounds. I'm trying to understand how the accuracy in that would work. No, there is no way, like... like do you see these scrawny guys who are shooting yeah. it with one arm? The kickback would just be insane. It would be like the cricket in Men in Black. Yeah. It would just be nuts. I mean, you need like a foregrip on the barrel of it or something, but even still, like, that's still so cumbersome. Yes, and then he uses regular assault rifles, though, because when Bruce Willis, old Joe's, like, storming the castle, he's just, like, assaulting people with assault rifles. I don't I'm know. Like, it's Wait. weird because you have all these impractical, ineffective weapons and then you, like, so there are useful weapons. Yes. And then also, too, did you notice when Joe's escaping his apartment, he grabs that itty-bitty Derringer? <laughs> Which is just the most ineffective. Derringers were wildly inaccurate in the Old West days. Like, you could aim it at somebody's head, and you would wind up shooting them in the shoulder, a la Trixie and Deadwood. Dude, shootouts would be nuts in the Old West, just, like, watching one of those as a fly on the wall. Pew! What missed missed again? Yeah, how long I, would that take? I am always amazed to watch shootouts in Western films because I've never like because they'll go through eighteen rounds and never reload and still miss. <laughs> let's talk about because you've brought up Ryan Johnson a little bit. Let's yeah. talk about all right his filmmaking decisions in this movie. Here. Perfect, because I that would be nice because so piggybacking off of his blunderbuss and his choices for like weapons i don't know man have you you've obviously seen the last jedi and i just i saw the that and i'm like maybe looper was better because in hindsight i'm like all right saw the last jedi wasn't really too happy about it but looper was great so where did it go wrong and i start watching looper and i'm like these decisions with these weapons just don't make any logical sense so i've come to realize that i just don't think he's great at military decisions tactical decisions in film I don't know if you agree or not, because the bombs dropping in Star Wars was like one of the many things that people were pissed off about. I think he was trying to do something different 
mm-hmm. with the Star Wars films by injecting humor, but I think he went a bit too far with that. Yeah, man. But like, I don't know, the weapon uses like usage. He just I don't think he knows like how to write for logically utilizing weapons effectively. Like you can ask a cop or like a soldier or someone like how weapons work. You know, you don't have to just make it up. Well, what other gripes do you have besides the choice of weapons in this film? The lens flares. He, like, thought he was J.J. Abrams for a second. (laughs) Like, I couldn't believe it, man. I Like, in the city, the entire time, there was a light. Like, any any corner, you just see this lens flare. And I'm going, dude, what is up with this, man? So the lens flares were your lens flares? They were the literal lens flares. I've never seen that before. We haven't done a J.J. Abrams yet, but I couldn't believe it. I forgot about the lens flares when I watched this. You know, my lens flare was the prosthetics put on Joseph Gordon-Levitt to make him look like Bruce Willis. That was another decision that I guess we can't really, well, no one really understands. Why Why don't? Why didn't they just cast someone that looked like Bruce Willis? Or, or better, just not. Or better yet, why even have the prosthetics at all? Why not just know. Why not just have him do the mannerisms of Bruce Willis Yeah. and just leave it at that? You don't need to add prosthetics on there. It's also because producer Jeremy's wife was commenting that when she was watching the movie she couldn't look at him <laughs> i mean i could look at you just look at the eyes you don't look at the nose you know i don't you know, i don't know if you do that in society when you're walking down the street you know someone's got a big pimple on their nose you just look at the eyes man me being me i wouldn't be able to not say anything what you're that guy i am that guy i can't i can't help it what's on your face man well i don't sound like tommy boy when i do it <laughs> excuse me sir what is on your face? Well, I just do the John Candy Uncle Buck, you know, flip a quarter down and say, why don't you go get a rat and gnaw that thing off your face? Dang! That's not offensive. <laughs> but yeah, the makeup, it just, it was kind of mind-boggling. It was just distracting, but I got over it, like about 10 minutes in. Cause you that just was know. really the only bit of makeup used in the film, and when it's done like that, everybody knew going into it that they were going to use prosthetics on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face to make him look like Bruce Willis. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Oh, they marketed it. Yeah. Uh, look at his nose, everyone. I mean, man, that nose was made for cocaine. But <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the schnoz was huge. But his, the makeup on that, I don't know why. I think the audience would have been forgiving. No, if they instead didn't of snorting cocaine, he's dropping designer drugs into his pupils. Yes! They didn't even use the nose correctly. I didn't even understand that, man. Though the drugs in the future were kind of cool. They had that nice trippy scene. The only drug was, was well the, the stuff in the eyes. There yeah. was nothing else. There wasn't any weed or anything. I th- So the first time watching it, I thought she was smoking weed all the time on the farm. And I'm like, man. Turns out she's not actually smoking anything at all. She's just pretending to smoke. I know. Well, I caught that in the theaters. Uh, I said, oh, it's not even going down. Or the cigarette kept changing the lengths with each cut. But for the first time I saw it, I thought, wow, she's smoking weed around her kid. This is a very woke society. I also want to bring up, too, the setting of the film. This film is set in Kansas. It was. Which apparently in 2044 has become a major hub of crime. Indeed. It is the hub of all crime, apparently, in the United States. Somehow. I don't know crime records in Kansas. I, I didn't look him up. Yeah, I tried to look. I'm assuming this film was set in Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. And I tried so, looking up crime statistics, and it was just all too jumbled. It was too jumbled up and down. Yeah. They never I mean, know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to make assumptions on what crime is like in Kansas City, 
But according to this film, it is like the Wild West, apparently. Totally. Just Gat owning the city, mob running amok. Cops helping the Gat men find old and young Joe. That was crazy. Well, they said they Abe ran the city, which uh-huh. is smart. Would you like to live in this Kansas City? Absolutely not. Heck no. I mean, I'm not. Again, I mean, it. I mean, people in Kansas City. I mean, please tell us what it's like. What it's like. Is it fun to visit? Are there any cool breweries there? Yeah, because you do love beer. I did meet. Um, I worked with someone from Kansas City. She liked it. Theater was popping, booming. But there are two Kansas Cities, right? There's one in Missouri. Yeah, and then there's the one in Kansas. Kansas, yeah. But yeah, it it was weird. I can't believe how much crime was around. Yeah. Just running through the cornfields, man. Like in Gatman and the club. But I guess at the same token, that is a good spot to do it. Because there's it's not as filled with people, the population size, and you can just shoot someone by the cornfields, throw them in an incinerator, call it a day, man. I thought it would have made more sense to set this film in, say, like a, a suburb of Detroit. Yes. I mean, see all the burn buildings. Detroit has crumbling. long had a crime problem. It would make sense to set this movie in a city where there has always been a crime problem. Like well, even if this was set in like futuristic Chicago, that would make sense too. But I could also see Detroit being like, "Oh, we're trying to erase that stigma," you know, piggybacking on the stigma of what is. So I get why he picked Kansas. There's no way to completely eliminate crime no. in any city. Well, exactly. And you're always gonna piss off someone, right? So I do like how this movie accomplished an almost retro feel. Yes. Especially with the wardrobe choices. Totally, man. Even the cars. I did find <laughs> it funny, though, that Jeff Daniel, that Abe is uh, denigrating Joseph Gordon-Levitt on his choice of wearing cravats. And yet the man is wearing, it looks unkempt in a beard and a robe for for pretty much the entire film. I know. He just, he was bumming it out, man. I like, though, how he's like, why do you wear a tie? You know, he's hating on the tie. It's like, man, he's just trying to live. Let this boy live his life, man. Yeah. But he was just crap talking. I did did you like the motorcycle? No. You didn't like the motorcycle in this film? It wasn't a motorcycle. It was pretty much an unsafe <laughs> un, like jet <laughs> turbine prototype <laughs> that I would not want to stick on between my legs and quote ride around on. I would not <laughs> want to do that. No? I mean, who knows what the future is, man? Wheels could be gone. You could just be using hover cars. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Right. That I didn't mind the motorcycle, actually. I thought that was kind of cool. Like future tech. And it was great use of CGI. It looked pretty darn well done. Yeah, I would. And producer Jeremy brought up this comment. If you are going to make a film that's set in the future, I mean, make more of an effort to actually look like it's futuristic. Well, who knows how much of what the $30 million budget was Bruce Willis's salary. So... You know, maybe they're like, well, 10 million's going to Bruce, so we only got 20 million to work with. But even her looked more futuristic than this. And that didn't, and it didn't do much to accomplish that. Yeah. But her also had like a lack of like CGI and action scenes and location. So, but I do, I did like what they did with it. They did a lot with a little. And Ryan Johnson's filmmaking uh, decisions beside this movie is a good character study well that's what he called it because when people were coming at him with the paradoxes and the questions about the ending he said this isn't a time travel film it's a character study if you're gonna have gripes about time travel he's like go watch primer that's a time travel film if you want an actual film like characters watch my film well there's a lot to break down i mean every character has 
their quirks really i mean mm-hmm. Susie, the working girl i mean she's clearly the girl that joe is pining over but yeah he pines oh, if, poor joe he falls in love with this stripper man but she almost wants nothing to do with him because she's a stripper man they don't want anything to do with you except your money besides that i mean i'm not defending it but she's almost do you notice she's almost like watching the clock during her hour with joe because she's a prostitute bro like she just wants to get paid and then he's like touch my head pet my hair like my mother once did it's like bro oh if i was her i like the whole scene i was like oh i she feel so has sorry to brace herself in the front in the in the mirror to totally go interact with Dude, joe she had to like give herself a pep talk each time i'm sure before she saw him all right this guy's gonna w- do weird things i'm just gonna get myself in the motion for it you know like how, uh, just to pet his hair well then we have a uh, kid blue he almost serves as the comedic effect in yeah. the movie the screw up i I have to admit, I laughed hysterically when that door hit him in the head yeah. <laughs> and he shot the gun off in that, I guess it was a converted safe. I don't know what it was. And yeah. It just reverberated off the walls. <laughs> he was just a doofus, the poor guy, just given a big gun and not a brain cell in his head. And I felt a little bad, but yeah. I did laugh when Abe smashed his hand. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, for some reason, I thought that Kid Blue was the earlier younger version of abe for some freaking reason when i saw it the first time so i was like oh maybe that's why he's you trying thought to they like... sent old abe back in time yeah. to teach young abe like how to not screw things up yeah but when i was watching i was like what the heck were you even thinking man were you like drunk when you saw this the first time what's going on but it was funny watching him smash his hand that you got that father-son dynamic between them like kid blue kept the whole time he he tried to impress Abe and he just kept falling down over and over. And I think like, we get more of the father son dynamic when dealing with Abe and young Joe, yeah. even a little bit with old Joe and young Joe. So that's really where the father son well, element really comes I saw into play. Between those two, with a father that doesn't like his kid, like in Fences, if you've ever seen that with Denzel Washington, the kid keeps trying to like, he says, Why don't you like me? And his dad's like, I'm not here to like you i didn't have you to like you you're my freaking boy to finish off my seed preserve my legacy well how about just abe in general i mean because even joe mentions that being like the guardian of the loopers is a is almost like a non-job really Mm -hmm. i mean do you i get i got the impression that abe felt like he was passed over in the future yeah and so he was he was going to be a big man in the past Mm -hmm. you know he's running kansas city with the gat man with the gat man and oh yeah it's like dude you're coming back here sorry bring all your knowledge and tools and uh just run the mob but jeff daniels i mean i have to say i I didn't i haven't seen him in any other like villainous type roles before Mm -hmm. but he just crushed it he did like he did with Kid Blue's hand. He did. He did. He he's just, like he's just taking Blue's a hammer hand. and he's crushing that part of his character. <laughs> that was very nice. And got to talk about old Joe. Old here jo- the, oh, Bruce Willis, man. I have to say, I don't think old Joe is that savvy in this movie. You don't think so? No. Why not? I mean, assuming he goes down the timeline where young Joe kills his older self and closes mm-hmm. his loop, he saved half of his silver for what? He, to go over to Shanghai. Yeah, and then he blows it all, all on drugs on drugs and partying. Women. Yeah, and he keeps- Doing the same thing. He keeps he doing the same doing thing, crime, but he man. keeps blaming his younger self for it, almost like they're two different people. 
It's almost like the father admonishing his son for making poor choices. Well, it's like, yeah. dude, those were your choices too. Mm-hmm. Like, own up to them. And he was, well, he was a drug addict and super selfish. Because, like, in the diner when they're talking, he's like, you're so stupid. You're so selfish. And I know, like, Ryan Johnson talked about them being, like, super selfish characters, which is kind of ironic because old Joe comes back. He's, like, pretending to be this enlightened one when the whole time he's super selfish as well. His whole ambition was to kill this kid because he wanted to preserve his wife. It's like, I get it, but you're still acting in selflessness. Selfishness. The more heroic act would have been to just let... Yeah, let your wife die, and let, then you or die like, too, or let you know Joe close the loop. And yeah, that exactly. Way, that exactly. way, your wife is saved. Yeah, but he no, he's still he did not change, and yet really. he is surprisingly okay with this plan of going around and killing little kids. Yeah, because in the future he gets like uh, he finds three addresses for this. The villain is like the rainmaker. This kid because there's spoiler telekinesis. Like, I guess that's Telekinesis like a, is apparently the mutation of the future. But so this one kid's like a mutant TK and he can like kill people. And so he becomes a rainmaker and just wrecks havoc on everyone. And so uh, he comes back because he found three addresses for what this kid, who, where he could have possibly lived. And he just starts blowing him away, man. Well, I just, I didn't get how old Joe like time travels and suddenly becomes like Liam, Liam Neeson's Neeson. taken. Just starts being, well, just, because, I mean, he was a looper. I, but I he has been it. out of the game for years at this point, and all of a well, sudden he travels back in time, and it's like, it's all coming back to him. It's only been, like, four years, and you've seen those videos of, like, Magic Johnson still shooting hoops, and, like, Michael Jordan, so, you know, you Yeah, might... but nobody's trying to defend my Magic Johnson. <laughs> that is true. Because he'll probably fire you for creating a toxic work environment. <laughs> that is true. But Bruce Willis, he does, like... Do the Liam Neeson taken elements, which I actually enjoyed in this film. That was some of my favorite moments, watching him not blow away the kids, but when he takes out the Gatman, like he's storming the mm-hmm. castle. That was awesome. Well, my whole thing, too, was he was a looper. He was. He should have known or should have made peace with the fact that they were going to come for him in his old age. Well, he, I, I believe he says it in the diner that he was totally fine with. He knew his 30 years were up because that was in 30 years once you close your loop. Boom. Uh, it was just the fact that they killed his wife because his wife essentially saved him, like kicked him from drugs, he cleaned himself up, you know, he found love and someone that cared about him. Well, instead of trying to kill the kids, he should have just tried to kill his younger self, erased him, and it would have saved his wife. Yeah, but he's too selfish. He wanted his younger self to experience that so he could learn, you know, how to not be, I guess, self selfish and be selfless, kick drugs and like live this life of love. I think he knew that he was going to die, but he wanted to live and and have his wife continue on. Mm-hmm. But since she was murdered by pretty much accident, she just made a like movement outside and they shot her. I mean, it kind of sucks. I get his motivation, understood it, but it just kind of, you couldn't like him as a character for blowing away the kids. And it was just like, dude, if you want to be selfless, oh, letting your wife die and just you perishing would be the selfless thing. Our our last two major characters, we have Sarah and Sid. Mm-hmm. And what was the deal with Sarah chopping on that tree stump in her front yard? So that seems that seems like it's that, ham-fisted symbolism for her struggles in motherhood. Yeah, that scene, she just kept chopping, and he asked her if he wanted, you know, do you need help? And she says, no, I don't need help. 
get away from my son. That stump is her attempts to be a mom to Sid. She was a terrible parent to him. Every time Sid would freak, she would just hide in a safe. Well, and speaking of Sid, that kid clearly does not know how to handle his emotions. And no! she's not doing anything to help that. Well, that pissed me off while watching this. I'm like, you suck as a mom. You're not communicating to your kid this whole time. And you're like, no, just just let him do his thing. It's like, no, woman, you're doing a terrible job. And Joe sees it. He just hit puree on Jesse. Like, what do you he want? He did. His buddy that he liked. I'm like, all right, man. Even Joe, young Joe was going to kill him. And I thought that would have been an interesting take. But he, at that point in the movie, I was like, oh, he understands where old Joe is coming from. So that was kind of a nice tie-in where they understood each other. Really, we could have spent all this time talking about the many parallels. Parallel. Parallel time. <laughs> So we have Abe seeing the bad path of Joe and changing it, mm -hmm. and then Joe seeing the bad path of Sid mm -hmm. and changing it, with Joe making the sacrifice to kill himself, erase old Joe, and hopefully change Sid's path of not becoming the Rainmaker. Well, they both said it. I think Abe at the beginning, he said, and then I saw it. And since I've seen this film before, when I knew the ending, that's kind of like the same dialogue that young Joe had with himself. And then I saw it, you know, him, a young kid seeing his mother die. So I, I liked that parallel. It was a nice, like, poetry. It rhymed. Well, then you have Joe wanting to do right for Susie and her mm -hmm. kid, but she doesn't want any of it. But then at the end, old Joe brings all of young Joe's silver. Yeah. And then and all some. of a sudden... He has done right for Sarah and Sin by inadvertently having all of his silver there because mm -hmm. he can't use it anymore. He did. He literally set him up to run away. So that would be my question. Would you have taken all that money? I mean, because I was thinking about that while I watched it. I don't know. Like, That's a lot of gold, bro. It wasn't gold. It was all silver. It was silver. Oh, because do you I don't think know what happened with his? Yeah. I don't know what happened with the gold. That was kind of left uh, yeah. unanswered, unless it was somewhere in the truck or or it, like it was thrown at Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> Because he gave him a piece, I think, of it. Yeah, he threw a piece down at him and was like, hey, or get out of town like with just that. Like uh, That's what I thought, too. And then once you see the truck flipped over, then all the silver, I said, oh, okay. But well, his original time, advice was hop on a train and get out of town. And I was like, know. with what? I know. You didn't leave me anything and you took my truck. You douche. Come on, man. At least this time he's like, all right, well, I'll give you some gold. Well, then also, too, another parallel, you have old Joe changing changing turning his life around mm -hmm. but he's not willing to believe that sid can change mm -mm. he did not so this was a gripe that many people had with the film in old joe's timeline sid becomes the rainmaker without him having any influence on it all right the kid has a synthetic jaw so in old joe's mind the kid is predestined to become the rainmaker because he didn't interact with sarah the difference was that young Joe did have that interaction. But that's kind of like the paradox that people have in the film that the kid was predestined regardless because he already became the rainmaker without old Joe's you know, influence on him. Sure. And then someone also said online, which is kind of interesting, why would old Joe be the only looper trying to kill the rainmaker? When other loopers from well, the future not if, try to kill the Because remember too? earlier in the film, the Rainmaker, all he was doing was closing, closing old, all the loops. Closing all the loops. He was getting rid of them. But is old Joe the only one with the idea to go back in time and kill the kid? Maybe. So who knows? I Maybe know. he was the only one who succeeded at it. Exactly. I don't know. And so that was kind of, that was one of the 
gripes, I guess, in toxic fandom that the kid has a synthetic jaw in the future, old Joe's, but he never got shot. Maybe his mouth decayed. <laughs> maybe maybe the homeless guy that was approaching his mom did something to him. I don't know. Who knows? A lot of yeah, like tiny little tiny tidbits. bits of dialogue give you clues into as to why the Rainmaker yeah. does what he does with the vagrant executions. And, oh yeah. And closing all the loops. Well, because he doesn't, um, with Sid, like his mom, he thinks his aunt, whom he killed, was his real mom. And that uh, Sarah wasn't his real mom. So his whole, like, idea is, oh, you're not my real mom. You're a liar. You're all liars. Liar. And so I get why he grows up to become, I'm going to kill all, like, the homeless people, all the loopers, all the bad people in the world. Because the kid makes some cryptic statements where it's like, whoa. Just, I don't know, he kept saying these lines that made me, like, cringe. I don't know if you felt that. Mm, not really. Uh, the kid was cute, though. Well, the kid was just a dummy. <laughs> what? You thought the kid was a dummy? Oh, you mean uh, kid, like the kid kid, Sid. Yeah. Not Kid Blue. No, not Kid Blue, Sid. Well, you have kid, and then you have Sid. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you think Sid? I thought Sid was a good kid. The kid acted the heck out of it, too. Yeah, I mean... I, I agree with your gripes about Sarah not being the best of moms. Well, that's why he became well, the Well, she's not as forth. I mean, Sarah herself is an odd character because she's so anti-Joe Yeah. at one point in the movie. And then she just has this flip after he's protected Sid and he's like, oh, now I can sleep with you? I know. That was so fast. It When I saw it, I'm like, really? After this? But, you know, hey, man, hookup culture nowadays, you can- have you know sleep with someone that you meet on tinder after a couple messages but i don't know i've never uh met moms like that so i can't tell you dude (laughs) (laughs) i never had that experience well also too i mean she has a chance to be forthcoming about sid's tk abilities and Mm -hmm. yet she doesn't she i know she doesn't tell joe about that that seems like something that somebody should know super important i mean she she was so guarded i mean hashtag game changer there yeah that's why i didn't i didn't really like her character throughout the film i thought she was just doing a terrible job so this week on force fed sci-fi who's not doing their job was sarah yeah as a mama yeah mama said mama sarah (laughs) uh but the farm sequence yeah that was very witnessy. Yeah, um, just that whole ending there. I mean, there's a lot to try and unpack. I mean, you have. Yeah. I mean, they loaded up the bed of that pickup truck yeah. just so it w- would look cool on screen when it got flipped over. I know. I was very upset when that kid did that thing. Cause he, but I, you know, I understood what you mean. Like, especially at the end of the film, you're just kind of like, let's get this over with. Because when he flips it, it's like, all right. He's going to have his freak out again because we have to get to the point where Joseph Gordon-Levitt kills himself. Well, then you also have old Joe trying to convince young Joe to just get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And young Joe, I mean, he finds poor Sid in the field covered in blood. And you can tell that little kid's been crying. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he he meant to do what he did to Jesse. No. Because what he did to Jesse was just horrifying. But in, in Sid's mind, he was protecting Sarah. Mm-hmm. He was. And, you, I mean, you see the tears running down the kid's face, and I think that's the moment when Joe realized that, like, he is a good kid. He's just a kid, man. Yeah, you, you can't write off, like, a, a five- or six-year-old kid. No, and I've worked with, uh, like, in one of my gigs with a bunch of young kids, and, you know, I understand that kids, emotionally, man, we're just like little animals. We don't know how to control it all. 
And then he even goes into adulthood. Axl Rose was a fiery man <laughs> well into his 40s. But speaking of um, Jesse getting uh, pureed in the house, who is your red shirt in the movie? Oh, my red shirt is the homeless man. That got just blown away right at the beginning. Yeah, he got shot in the back with the shotgun slugs. I said, oh, so this future we can just wield and deal, man. Bam! Steal anything off my lawn. How about you? Uh, My red shirt, I would have to say, is old Seth. Old Seth? Well, because they're carving up young Seth mm-hmm. to get him to come to one location. Yeah. To me, all you had to do was when you captured young Seth, just like throw him into the incinerator or whatever, and boom, you take care of old Seth. Well, Abe was like, we can't kill him because it'll ruin his whole, like, time. You know, the timeline is being a looper and everything. But they end up dismembering him. Yeah, which, so what was the point? So, yeah, it ruins his entire timeline anyways, which was, I guess, another fan gripe. Yeah, that's the red shirt slash other lens flare is when they start removing old Seth's yeah. appendages. Like, it's a cut to his fingers and then cut back to his face and the tip of his nose is gone and then it's like his hands his feet his leg his larynx is taken out it's just what the heck man? it just no like just kill much. young seth and you erase old seth and then it's done it's over with just take off a hand and be like okay i get it now yeah would you would you let your looper run no. Well, actually, first, first would you be a looper no and, no you wouldn't be a looper i don't want to be a looper no because the the job the ends in death, no matter what. That's true. But it don't. you're you're either killing your future self or someone by else. closing your loop, and then you're growing old, and then you're taken away by people just to be killed again. Yeah, but on the flip side, on the morbid side, Chris, I don't we, see a flip side to it. Aren't we all going to die at some point? So why not get rich while doing it? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Not if that means having to kill my future self and have my life be a closed loop forever and ever, a la 12 monkeys. A la 12 monkeys, true. So would you let your looper run then? No, because I wouldn't be a looper. (laughs) That would not in any alternate reality. You wouldn't even uh, bypass the morals and ethics and be like, you know what, I'm curious. No, because I wouldn't be a looper in the first place. (laughs) That's funny. I think I would give it a shot in one alternate reality to see. Just for just for giggles? Just for giggles. See how that Sean turns out? Yeah. Why not, man? You get to fire the blunderbuss. You mean the ineffective weapon that's only good past, you know, 15, 15 feet? feet? God, what a nice write-off. He, he was smart for that ending scene because a bunch of people were like, well, why didn't you just shoot old Joe? It's like, nope, he was beyond 15 He tried feet. to. <laughs> yep, didn't work. Ryan Johnson was smart. But what he should have done was taken the gap from uh, Kid. Because uh, Kid Blue was still holding on to it when he got run over. Or yeah, whatever. but I think Old Joe scooped it up. Old Joe had the gap. Okay, I wasn't sure yeah. if that was his own weapon that he brought from uh, the place or not. Okay. Well, I think smart Ryan Johnson. Uh, well, I think we finished the main course, the meat and potatoes. That is Looper. Yeah. Let's talk about the legacy of Looper. The legacy. Yeah, this film grossed a hundred and seventy-six million dollars in two thousand twelve. Especially for an indie film. Yeah. yeah. But 2012 was a huge year in films. That's what you were saying. There was a bunch that were released. There were four billion, four films that crossed the billion dollar mark, which was which had never happened before. All right. So you had uh, OG Avengers. OG Avenger. You had Skyfall. Uh, you had The Dark Knight Rises, another movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And this was a big year for him, too, because he also starred in Lincoln. He made all this of his year. money. 
Uh, and also The Hobbit, the first oh. film, An Unexpected Journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I looked this up too. Looper opened on the same weekend as Hotel Transylvania. So it got blown out of the water in the box office. No, by Hotel Transylvania? Yeah. Get out of here. Looper finished second in the box office to Hotel Transylvania. What? The Adam Sandler cartoon? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy, man. But obviously <laughs> this is the superior of the two, those two films. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it, so well, I can't this movie, say. Well, Looper does. See Adam Sandler be a vampire? <laughs> be like, oh, oh, oh. Like, I can't even do an Adam Sandler impression. I mean, and take whatever stock you will of this, but uh, <laughs> this film funny. does hold a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's okay. 93? Yeah. But no nominations for any major awards, no Golden Globes, no. no Oscars. When I saw it, I thought it would have at least like a, like a screenplay. Glo- something, but nothing. Some critics' awards, but nothing nothing, you know, nothing really to write home about. It was even snubbed at the, the Saturn Awards, which uh, honors science fiction and horror films. Did it get a Saturn? No, not a single not one. Not a single? That's crazy. But it did also make over $30 million from home media sales. Oh, well, there so you go. So for an indie film money. made, minor indie film made on a $30 million budget to make over $200 million. That's not bad. And it's a pretty good science fiction film. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's accomplishing quite a bit. You know, I wonder if it didn't make like any Saturn Awards because of like Ryan Johnson not embracing the science behind the film. Could be. Because really the film isn't too sciencey. It's more like a drama, if anything. But I did want to ask you this, too. I mean, do you think this is the last authentic performance that we will get from Bruce Willis? Um, I always hope that he'll do another one. But now he's like a B-movie star. Yeah. Which kind of stinks. I really enjoyed him in this. The action scenes were insane. Um, Actually, yeah, I didn't bring that up. The action scenes in this movie... There's I always... not a ton. Yes, that's what I loved about it. So I know you like action like... Phantom Menace, lightsaber battles, flipping all over. This is my action. Like, super quick, super short, moves the plot, has a purpose, a cost, and a weight to it all. But I can't stand any long action scenes like that. But I think for Bruce Willis that uh, I hope he has another good role after this. Well, I think that's also a good point to jump into the rating of this film. They're using the four-tiered well, system. Well, wait, do you think Bruce Willis... Do I think Bruce Willis will have another authentic performance? Yeah. Um, I hope he does, but I'm not going to be optimistic about it. Why not, man? Well, like you said, he's become more of the B-movie action star now. I mean, he's doing what Nicolas Cage has been doing for the last 15 years and is now doing these... Um, he was in that uh, that Death Wish remake last year, and that was Doo-Doo Stew. Did you watch it? Yeah, it's not no. a good movie. Oh, man, I'm It sorry. is not a good movie. They shouldn't have never tried to remake a <laughs> Charles Bronson classic. Uh, well, maybe there's I mean, I hope he does, but I'm not going to hold my breath for it. Yeah. So I think that's a good point to, to, do the rating. to discuss the rating of Looper and sure. using the four-tiered system that we have on the Force-Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own. And would host a viewing party. Mm-hmm. Sean, what do you give 2012's Looper? I would own it. Um, I like the serious dramatic elements in the film, even though it has its problems uh, with paradoxes and everything. I really enjoy the action in this film. Despite him not embracing the science, I did like how he glossed over it and it didn't take its science too seriously to get bogged down with it. But uh, yeah, I'd own it. Definitely. I, I agree with you. This would be a would own for me as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. This suffers from having to explain how the time travel works, though. Yeah. It's not like Back to the Future where it's self-contained within the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think the violence would be a bit off-putting for some people, a wider audience. Yeah. Well, and you ha- I think in this movie, you have to explain a lot more in it than you would in another film. Like, mm-hmm. why is Joseph Gordon-Levitt wearing prosthetics? Uh, why is this movie set in Kansas? <laughs> so there's a lot of questions that you would have to answer as like a big, as a big fan of the movie to other people if you are going to show it off. Yeah, I agree with that. But I do think that this is one of the more original films Defin- that I've seen in a long time prior to this. Well, definitely. And it's a nice take on the whole time tra- travel genre in the dystopian future in general. So I do like that. Yeah, it was, you know, I think he wrote the heck out of this film. It really was a good starting, a uh, good third film for Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and then he parlayed that into uh, The Last Jedi. Into The Last Jedi, and he's doing more movies. I don't blame him for that, because you go from a $30 million budget to like a $200 million budget. But I thought, this is probably, I think, his bread and butter mm-hmm. right here. These medium-sized budget films. So, good works to you, even though I don't agree with every decision, Ryan Johnson. Kudos to you, man. So I think that about wraps it up for Looper, Definitely. wouldn't you say? So let's pick our movie for next time, shall we? Major Samantha. Yes, we're going to list the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha. And from the list of 118 films she has selected, number 51. It is a 1999 comedy spoof directed by Dean Parasot starring Tim Allen and Alan Rickman. It is Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I'm so yoked for this. Yeah, a nice spoof on Star Trek. A nice Star Trek Trek spoof. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to watching this one as well. Yeah. All right. Now, if if you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five star review or an honest review. It helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Cole, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.